Well, you know, as uh, I've mentioned to you numerous times, we have been looking at all these vocabulary words from our theological vocabulary, biblical vocabulary that begin with the prefix re throughout 2022. So one other word today about remember. That's our theme for Advent. And just want to remind you that uh, that word, when you find it in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word, zakar, to remember, it's used over 200 times in our Old Testament. And whenever you find it in the Old Testament, sometimes it doesn't just mean to call something to mind. It actually has the idea of appropriate actions that are included with remembering. So as I've said, when God remembered Noah, he sent the wind. When we remember the Sabbath, we keep it holy. So there's idea of action being connected to remembering. So before I share the last message about remember, let me just give you a commercial about 2023. Our theme for 2023 is going to be, why does it matter? And as I was away from you this last July, um, I had already begun thinking about this theme and it really um, came to me more fully during the time that I was away on study leave. And I began to just ask myself the question, why, does, why do things matter? And how do we decide what really matters in life? And so here's what we're going to do in 2023. These eight seasons in our church's life, we're going to tackle these topics. Let me just give them to you real quickly today. We're going to start in the winter with anything. Why does anything matter? Why does sin matter? Why does the family matter? Why does eternal life matter? Why does the Holy Spirit matter? Why does the church matter? Why does mission matter? Why does the incarnation matter? Now, what we'll do is we will take those topics and we'll give them a little bit of a different nomenclature to make them more accessible to people. So, for example, for Easter, instead of asking the question, why does sin matter? We'll ask the question, why does right and wrong matter? And so we'll be addressing these various topics, trying to determine why do we think these things matter ultimately? And there's really two tracks that we're going to find ourselves on in 2023. One of them is an apologetics track. The word apologetics in English, it comes from the Greek word apologia. Sometimes we hear the word apology, and it does have the, the connotation in its more common vernacular use of me expressing my regret about something, or I'm apologizing for it. But the actual root meaning of that word in Greek is to defend, to, to represent. And so the whole field of apologetics means that you take the time to actually explore what you really believe and you explore it so deeply and so profoundly that you can actually represent it to someone who may not share that same belief. And so sometimes we use the, the word de defend. Uh, Luke, Stare and I have been talking about that, and Luke let me know respectfully he doesn't like the word defend. He said, I believe the gospel defends itself. So he's challenged me to think of putting it a different way. And so the way I've chosen to put it is represent, that if we learn more fully what we really believe, then we can adequately represent it. But with apologetics also, therein is an appeal. It's not just representing what you believe, but it's appealing to someone to at least take some time to acknowledge what you believe and maybe give consideration to it themselves. So that's part of what we're going to be doing in 2023. We also are going to have another track, and that's an evangelistic track. 
and that is the appeal side of sharing the gospel in ways that are meaningful and relevant to our culture. And so those will guide us in our journey in 2023. Um, you can go to my website, thesacramentaljourney.org, and you'll find resources if you're interested in exploring these topics uh, more fully. You can go to the resource tab, and I've listed for you a group of materials, some books that I have read that our staff has been reading where we are studying together this whole idea of apologetics and evangelism and what does it mean to truly think through what we really believe and to understand the impact, if you will, of, of uh, Christianity, really, uh, in the great marketplace of ideas and how it has fared and how it's faring today. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to sharing all of this with you as we enter into this, this new year. I think it's going to be a very productive and challenging year for us. And I would say this to y'all, if there's ever been a time when Christians need to understand what they really believe and learn how best to represent it, surely this is that time. We need it. And so I'm looking forward to just walking down the journey with you as I have been reflecting upon what really matters in this world. So with that said, Let's have one more brief conversation this morning under this topic of remember for the Advent season. And I've entitled the message today, God's Great Gift to His World. The text will not surprise you, page two of Luke's gospel. What other text will we read on this day, right? So it's the Christmas story. I grew up hearing this story in the King James, you know, so sometimes when I'm reading it in the NIV, I find myself... Um, struggling with my fluency, as Rosemary said, because I've just got this in the back of my mind. But I'll do my best to read it from the NIV translation today because that's what I have with me. So I will invite you, if you're able, to stand with us as we honor the Lord Jesus in the reading of the gospel. So let's hear the Christmas story as Luke records it for us. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. You see, Luke wants you to know that even though there are secular rulers, they're all ultimately under this incredible sovereign cosmic plan of God. Not only was that true then, as independent as some of those people feel they are today, it's still true today. Every year when we go to Rome, I like to stand at Caesar Augustus. We always go to Caesar's palace. It's the original Caesar's Palace in Rome. And I like to stand there at Caesar's Palace and just say this. When Caesar Augustus issued this decree, in his mind, he was on center stage. He was the most important man in the Roman Empire. And when he decided that this needed to happen, he thought it was all about him. He had no idea that he was just a bit player in a much grander drama and the very reason he was doing this is so prophecy would be fulfilled that he knew nothing about. But that's a whole nother sermon. So, so what happens? Well, verse 3, so everyone went to their own town to register. Verse 4, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth into, in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> so the shepherds were in the shepherd's field just outside of Bethlehem, and all of a sudden an angel appears to them. It's a remarkable story to me. Um, in fact, I, I love what this says um, when, the, when the angel tells them, if you look back at verse 12, the angel says, I'm going to give you a sign. Well, I don't know about y'all, but if an angel appeared to me and then there was a great multitude of the heavenly hosts, I don't really need a sign. How about y'all? <clears throat> Surely that's the sign. I mean, I'm going to give you a sign. You're about to be overwhelmed by the multitude of the heavenly hosts. Surely that's enough. Well, it's fascinating to me. Um, actually, what's the sign? A, a baby. What can be more common and more ordinary than the birth of a baby? Every one of those shepherds' families knew what that was like. I'm sure they had all experienced it. And it's, it's a baby in a manger no less. And so here's this cosmic, heavenly story, and now all of a sudden it's reduced down to just this, this very humble human expression. It takes an interesting twist to me that an angel appears, a multitude of angels, and then now we turn to the birth of a baby. But this baby, th this baby, even though it's an ordinary story, a young couple having a baby, firstborn. This is no ordinary baby, as you know. In fact, this baby is God's greatest gift to his world. I want you to think about that world. The first century when Jesus was born, it was a, it was a world that had been engulfed by violence. The Romans had taken over the world. And the Romans were very proud of themselves, as many of you know. They considered themselves to be very educated, astute philosophically. They borrowed much of their philosophy from the Greeks, as you know. But the Romans were pragmatists, if nothing else. And there were a number of things the Romans knew how to do. One of the things the Romans knew how to do was to rule. They knew how to rule over people. And they established what they loved to call the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. But Pax Romana was something that the Romans bragged about as an interior reality, but we all know that's not what it was. It was an external manifestation of ruthless, absolute power. That's really what it was. The reason the world was at peace is because the world lived in fear. 
people were afraid of the Romans. And just to make sure that you stayed afraid, if you wanted to know how bad it could get, then just try an insurrection, and they would show you pretty quickly. And they were absolutely ruthless. The Romans would crucify over 40,000 people, none of them Roman citizens, because crucifixion was not befitting a death for a Roman citizen. But the Romans ruled the world, and they exerted absolute power. And another way that they demonstrated their power was they taxed the people. They made sure that the people over whom they ruled paid their fair share, and they would choose to rule variously. Sometimes they would send one of their own to rule over a certain part of, the, of a region. Sometimes if they thought a vassal king could be enough of a puppet and he had enough dexterity to manage his world in the Roman world, they'd let him rule for a while. Consequently, when Jesus is born, you have King Herod, who was this rascal of a man who somehow was able to navigate through the politics of all the machinations of the transfers of power in Rome. He demonstrated his political dexterity, but he was also just as ruthless as any Roman. In fact, Herod was so worried that when he died, no tears would be shed in Israel that he ordered the execution of hundreds of people upon his death just so there would be weeping in Israel upon his death. A ruthless leader. And so then you have the Jews, Jews like Mary and Joseph. They lived under the power of the Romans, actually communicated to them through King Herod. Not only did the Jews have to live with that, theologically at this moment in history, the Jews struggled because the Jews had deeply embedded within them the story of the Exodus, the story of the great conquest for God intervened in their history and delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians. And they believed that somehow God was going to act again and there'd be this new exodus and God was going to send this special person and he would lead them in the great conquest and they once again would be established as the people of God and their land would be their land, the land given to Abraham and belong to them once again without any kind of strings attached. Well, God had been silent not for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or 50 years or 100 years, 400 years. The Jews had waited, and from their perspective, they had heard nothing. Their necks chafed. There's the occasional, when, when you study the history of what's called the intertestamental period, you know, in your Bibles, it's one blank page, but it's actually 400 years of human history. A lot happened during those 400 years. You have some insurrections at the hands of the Jews where the Jews will, will somehow rise up and seek to rule over themselves again, but ultimately they would be vanquished by the Romans. And so as they waited in silence, anticipation, expectation, and hope, some of them I'm sure had given up. Some of them still had within their hearts that God was going to deliver them. In the midst of that world, God sent a baby. Well, that was that day. What about this day? We stand on the brink of a new year. We've just made our way through 2022. We find ourselves still somewhat slowly emerging from a pandemic, still trying to grapple with the effects of it, looking at the things that it has done to us, perhaps the things it's revealed about us, 
Some things it's actually caused, other things it's probably just exacerbated. It will take us years to study the sociological, economical impact of this pandemic. And we also live in a world that is characterized by incredible political polarization. Not just in our land, but certainly in our land. But it's across the world. We also are, as hard as it is to believe, we're here in 2022, and we're still having to be reminded of the atrocities that can be committed by corrupt political leaders bent on power like Vladimir Putin, who just chooses to invade a neighboring nation at will and commits egregious acts. And to show you how polarized we are, the very leader of that nation, the Ukraine, comes and addresses our Congress and offers a word of thanks and issues another appeal for help. And I listen to the political pundits on our televisions. And for many of them, the very basis of their disagreement had to do with the fashion choice of the leader rather than the substance of his message. And I marveled, and I asked myself the question, what, is, what has happened to us? Where is everybody? Where, where are the leaders who stand and lead? Where, where, where are the voices of reason? Where are the harbingers of hope in our world? And then we also watch with horror that innocent teenage girls are being executed in Iran on our watch. As we just see these events unfold across the Middle East, and we feel so helpless. And then in our, in our own nation, a nation that is sometimes gripped by violence and fear, and believe it or not, drug abuse. In 2022, people still caught up in a cycle of addiction and desperation. And then we even are, are watching as drug dealers and people who distribute and sell these drugs are lacing them with fentanyl and drug addicts are being victimized once again and many of them dying in their homes or on the streets because they've literally been poisoned by the people from whom they purchased these illicit drugs. Human trafficking continues to be an issue in our world, claims the lives of thousands of innocent people, plays upon their vulnerabilities, and it feeds that deep, dark sin that exists in the hearts of men and women across our world. And then in my own, in my own country, a teenager cannot buy a pack of cigarettes, but can ask a physician to assign them medication to attempt to change their very identity. And that is discussed as if it's normal. That's my world. And I find myself asking the question, what, what does my world need? I, do, I don't live in the first century. I'm not a first century Jew with an expectation of a Messiah. I'm a, I'm a 21st century American Christian. What does my world need? This world, my world, as I look at it, it's looking for answers. It's, 
It's looking for hope. It's, it's looking for footing. It's looking for some kind of foundation. It's, it's looking for something that on the one hand is transcendent, but at the same time is imminent, something that speaks to the deepest part of us. I just sense that my world is longing for truth, for meaning, significance. And remarkably, as I stand here this morning in this pulpit, what I've discovered is the answer is actually still in a baby. No ordinary baby, but this baby. You see, this baby changed everything. When this baby was born, history was altered forever. Time was split into the time before him and after him. <laughs> this baby. So this morning on Christmas Day, I would just invite you with me for just a moment to revisit the majesty of the manger. The give consideration to the honor that's due this humble birth. I invite you this morning with me to consider the beauty of Bethlehem once again. The adoration of this angelic announcement, the surprise of the shepherds, the, the sign of this story. What is the sign of this story? Angels, God ripping open heaven and letting these shepherds have just a brief glimpse in glory. What is the sign he pointed us all to? No, it's not all that. The sign was this baby. How remarkable is that? Well, why all the fuss about this baby? <laughs> Well, the answer is obvious, isn't it? Y'all know one of my spiritual gifts is stating the obvious, so can I just do that real quickly? Why this baby? Well, let me remind you what the angel said about this baby. Good news. You know, Luke is interesting as a gospel writer. He's the only one who really likes that word, euangelizo. It means we get our word evangelism from it. It means I declare good news to you. Luke, it's one of his favorite words. He uses it in his gospels 15 times in the book of Acts. You're hard-pressed to find it in the other three Gospels. Interesting, isn't it? But this is good news. That's one of Luke's favorite words. Well, what is the good news? Well, the angel said, great joy. I love that qualifying word in Greek, uh, kara, the joy, but it doesn't just say that. It says mega in Greek, <laughs> mega joy. The joy that we receive because of this baby it's not just any joy, it's great joy. Then I want you to notice this is for everybody. This is for all the people. This isn't just for the people who, uh, who've arrived, just for the people who, who live in the right neighborhoods, the people who are born in the right places, the people who have the right last names, the people who have the right pedigree. This message here is for everybody. I believe that's one of the reasons Jesus was born and the way he was born in such a humble state so that everybody can have access to him. And notice he's the son of David, prophecies being fulfilled right in front of us when this baby is born. This is not just some uh, moment in history disconnected from everything that's ever happened. This is the cosmic drama. This is the meta narrative. This is the big story. And he is the son of David. But I also want you to notice he is savior, verse 11. A savior has been born. Once again, that's just who we need. Jesus did not come to soothe you in your sin. He came to save you from it. 
a Savior has been born. <laughs> this baby, guess who he is? He is Christ the Lord, hallelujah. And I want y'all to know he didn't become Lord. He didn't earn the title Lord. He showed up Lord. Even as a baby, this baby, he's no ordinary baby. This Christmas season, it's, it's like all Christmas seasons. We know what it's filled with. My goodness, it's filled with parties and families and festivities, and shouldn't it be? Of course it should be. We will enjoy all of that, and we already have, and there's probably more to come in your family just like mine today. It'll be filled with wrappings and presents. As we do all of that, let me just remind us on that fateful night in Bethlehem when God gave us himself, and that is exactly what happened. And when God gave us, gave us himself, he chose to wrap himself in the form of a baby. The limitations that come with humanity now experienced by our God himself. And the reason God has done that is so that we might know him personally. The reason God has done that is so that we might serve him faithfully. And the reason God has done that is so we might enjoy him eternally. And so my hope is for you this Christmas season, as you unwrap everything else, I hope that you and I will pause and consider what it means to unwrap this gift and that we will know him personally and then we'll serve him faithfully and then praise his name, we'll enjoy him eternally. May it be so and Merry Christmas.